Hey folks, Brett Stewart here. We hope you had a terrific holiday season and new year. Uh, David and Nicola both unfortunately come down with COVID. Don't worry, they are both on the mend. They're doing well. And, uh, you know, either I have I have the flu or these rapid tests are not terribly accurate. Uh, who, who knows? But eh, we might be three for three. Uh, this episode is a Netflix roulette, an epic bonkers movie called Lamageddon. I think it was actually on Amazon Prime because we've opened up Netflix roulette to Amazon Prime. It was truly spectacularly awful, uh, though, frankly, also probably not worth 60 minutes of your time. Uh, this particular episode is recorded on a laptop while I was moving across the country earlier this year. I edited the episode about a month ago, took said laptop on a plane, and on the way back in November, that hard drive uh, seemed, seemed to have imploded on the plane. <laughs> uh, unclear as to what happened. It seems I the battery expanded in the laptop, and then something happened in turn with the hard drive. Long story short, hours of frustration later this week when I finally turned it back on, and uh, $80 of, of recovery software. Uh, Lamageddon is unfortunately, you know, lost to the wilderness. Uh, so I, I apologize for this. We've, we've recently started recording in a new way with some more foolproof backups. So hopefully this really should be the last time in movie go around history. We do have a missing episode. We're really bummed. You're not going to get to hear it. The episode following this, it was a future classics pick from Nicole Elysium, uh, the Matt Damon flick. And we really enjoyed it. I'd highly recommend you check it out. Nicole picked it because it really was a, a unique and very different science fiction film. And we really enjoyed it, but it did unfortunately meet, meet a similar fate on the plane. Uh, to make up for this, we're taking a trip down memory lane. The year was 2017 and then there was no pandemic. And the three of us were about a year into making our original movie podcast, Geek Cinema Society. We're revisiting an old Geek Cinema Society this episode in lieu of Lamageddon, and it's one of my favorites, Mortal Kombat. Now, now, not that new Mortal Kombat, not the one that most recently came out that was actually not terrible. No, we're talking about OG bad Mortal Kombat. Uh, this episode came out in May of 2017. It's the kind of film that would end up on Netflix Roulette, so it seemed like it would be a very fitting replacement here in the cycle. Uh, for next episode, in lieu of Nicole's awesome new to two pick, we'll be going down that rabbit hole again, revisiting another Geek Cinema Society. Uh, and in the spirit of it being something Nicole really wanted to talk about, I picked out Howl's Moving Castle. We haven't had a lot of opportunities to bring Studio Ghibli to this show, and when re-listening to the Howl's episode, I was struck by just how observant and adoring Nicole was with this film, even having seen it so many times. She was catching new things, and was more excited about it than ever, and I, 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 can, I know it's a film she would pick as a future classic, so I feel comfortable putting that here in the feed, and I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a fantastic discussion, and also Studio Ghibli, for all three of us, I think would often fall into something like future classics, but we just don't have the opportunity to bring it that often because those films don't land within the last 10 years, and all of us have seen them, so they can't really be new to twos. That Just the, this natural structure of movie go round does not work to bring films like this to you. So I, you know, I, this is kind of a fun way to sneak it into the feed. Uh, so thank you so much for your understanding. Worry not. The rest of our recordings are backed up and accounted for and edited. Um, big shout out to Nicole, who's been doing, you know, more than half of the editing, so much of the editing in the last couple months. She is an absolute rock star. 
Um, and you know, neither myself nor seemingly anyone else really, you know, at least should be getting on a plane anytime soon. Uh, so no more, no more issues on that front. Uh, but without further ado, Mortal Kombat. My name is Brett Stewart. I'm Nicole Davis. And I'm David Luzader. And you're listening to the Geek Cinema Society. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Geek Cinema Society, the program where every single week we delve into a film that is considered pivotal to geek culture and when we made this big giant list we reached out to you guys the listeners and you helped us rank and choose these films it's a big giant list of 500 films you ranked them of importance so you did this to us today uh you guys determined that this film was worth having on this list but before we get into that i want to go ahead and introduce my wonderful co-hosts and our wonderful guests this week david luzader how are you doing i'm Doing the best that I can. I'm putting on a happy face, trying not to break out and break down into tears too early in this film. Uh, <laughs> never have I actually dreaded watching a movie for the show, uh, but there's a first time for everything. Right, exactly. Hey, it's week 36. It was going to happen at some point. Very true. Uh, Nicole Davis, how are you doing? Ben, why do you hate us? Why do you hate us so much, Ben? Why did, why, what did we do? What did we do wrong? (laughs) Nicole, of course, is, is referencing our wonderful guest this week. That is Mr. Ben Aylett. He is an IT consultant of 22 years. He goes around helping people with technology every day. He's involved in local radio and TV for the last five years. He has a show on 6PR uh, in Perth that is on what day? Just give me a rundown of what you're doing there, Ben. Okay, so with the radio gig, uh, it's 6PR, so the website for that is 6pr.com.au, and it's a weekly talkback thing that I do with the uh, the talk show, well, with a talk station. So they're basically all sport and talk, and then they drag a nerd on once a week to talk about technology. That's, that's awesome. Very wonderful. And you're also doing work in local television, you said. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when there's a news story that has something to do with social media or technology or hacking, I'm usually the guy dragged in to put it into English. Wonderful. That's very much a necessity, especially for people like myself. That's awesome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, even if you did pick this film. Uh, the film that you picked, and this is a film that you had never seen before, that is the shtick of having guests here on the program, is 1995's Mortal Kombat. That's combat with a K. Lord Raiden handpicks three martial artists, a federal agent, a Shaolin monk, and an action movie star to mentor in preparation for Mortal Kombat, the once-in-a-generation fighting tournament. After intense training, Raiden transports the trio to Outworld for the event. There, the three humans must defeat the demonic warriors to save the Earth. Nicole, this film somehow ended up on our list. It somehow ended up higher than 300 other films. It's at 200 out of 500 on our list. What makes it significant? Okay, well, um, significant, yes, good, we will discuss. Um, So (laughs) video gaming started with geeks, 
We were the only ones who knew how to do the programming. Uh, arcade culture became very big and continued to be popular throughout the 1980s and into the 90s. Uh, as game systems started to become popular at home, games in the arcades had to kind of step it up to compete. So back in 1992, the arcade fighting game Mortal Kombat was introduced. It was hugely popular uh, with very solid graphics, a five-button control scheme, notoriously gory finishing moves. And this film adaptation was fan service at the highest level. Uh, it adheres very closely to the storyline of the game, uh, including a little bit of the second game, uh, and incorporates a lot of the signature moves and phrases. And while a film adaptation it wasn't the first video game film adaptation, uh, Super Mario Brothers, Double Dragon, and Street Fighter came before it. Uh, this was massively successful on a financial level, grossing $122 million worldwide on an $18 million budget. It also spurred a sequel two years later, if I'm not mistaken. It <laughs> did, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and then there was a third follow-up that I believe was direct-to-video. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this is this is essentially direct-to-video quality in some ways, but I do want to hand it right on over to Ben as our guest. This is a film that you picked because you'd never seen it, so A, uh, why did you pick it? Uh, B, just why? Uh, <laughs> and C, were these, were these games you ever played? Did, did that play a role in it or anything? Well, hey, look, you guys put it on the list, and I just uh, picked something I hadn't seen before. I actually picked about four <laughs> or five things I hadn't seen before. And uh, so, look, I'm sorry, but here we are. Okay. Yes. Um, hey, we have had some bad films before, so you're certainly yeah. – um, you're in good company. Yeah, it's no labyrinth. I'll give you that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned it, not me. Don't kiss up to Brett. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, Mortal Kombat to me, I, I did play it a lot as a, a well as a late teen, early twenties type person, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of that game. I thought it was a great game. I do remember seeing the movie come and go through the theaters. I I actually avoided that because I think by then we'd already learnt that movies taken from a uh, a different medium were usually pretty bad. So you know, I think I knew from a very, very young age that this was something to be avoided at, well, almost all costs, at least uh, until now, where you've got to shell out uh, three bucks to go and rent it on Google. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of things you could have bought for that $3, uh, but, but here we are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a film for me that uh, I enjoyed the hell out of this film. I love, love, love bad movies. That's, th that's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And this was so cringy and so uncomfortably bad, especially in the dialogue. The dialogue is really great, A. Uh, really some great lines in this movie. I loved it. Mm -hmm. David, what do you think of this movie broadly before we delve into some thoughts on it? Oh, broadly is such a difficult question because it's terrible. It's bad. It's real bad. It is... Though it is the kind of bad that you can get your friends around on a Friday night, get a few beers and everybody and have a good time just, you know, ripping some holes into this movie. It is bad in an enjoyable way, but it is not something that I ever want to solo watch again. <laughs> it's, it's a fun. sad experience to solo watch. Uh, uh -huh. I think it would be much better with company. Uh, this is the side of me that loves this film 
is the side of me that also loves to watch The Room every year. I think it's a very similar side, uh, very bad films. Ben, was this a film that you enjoyed, did not enjoy? What were your broad thoughts on it? Um, it, it was fun to watch in the fact that it was so bad, like you guys have said. I mean, the, the amount of cheese is unbelievable. Uh, Christopher Lambert, I thought, well, he, he kind of stole the show because you could close your eyes and you'd imagine Pinky talking to Brain. Right. He just had that sort of voice. Uh, and it was just so terrible. Um the, the things I did enjoy, though, was the, the scenery. So the, the locations shot mostly around Thailand. Uh, some of the beaches there are fantastic. It looks very similar to my almost home away from home, Bali. So it, it sort of took me back to that little tropical place, which is really, really nice. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Uh, the fighting, uh, you, you could tell when the actors were doing their own stunts. Their, their moves were just so sluggish. It was unbelievable. But, but the actual fighting part, the, the ones where it was left to the stuntmen, yeah, they did fine. And, uh, but, you know, I think the, the whole budget was spent on um, maybe the locations, some of the special effects, but the, the writers, I think they missed the plane. They, yeah. they turned up somewhere else. Somewhere totally else. Uh, I totally agree. And I think you've highlighted one of the redeeming qualities of this film to an extent is certainly the location. I really got a kick out of it. Nicole, this is a film I know you love. I know you've been really waiting to talk about this film on the podcast. It's something, it's kind of your labyrinth. I know it's okay. And you're muted. So I know you're really expressing your excitement. (laughs) You're still muted. Okay. I know I was just so beside myself with excitement. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I saw this in the movie theater. Uh, I was a young married person at the time, and my now ex really wanted to see this movie. And so we decided we would do an exchange. I would come along and watch this movie with him, and he would come along and watch a movie with me. So I had to watch Mortal Kombat, and the following week I took him to go see Seven. And, what, uh, a <laughs> what a deal that was. Um, so, yeah. So I, sat, so I had the, the now ex on one side and a very excitable 11-year-old boy on the other side whom I did not know. Um, and boy, was he into it. I you You would not believe how into it this kid was. He was like begging them to do particular moves out loud uh, in the theater. So, I could absolutely yeah, this, see uh, that. This movie is poo. It's <laughs> terrible. It's really got awful. Some of the, I will give it this, you know, on looking at it again, some of the fights are pretty decent. You know, some of these people actually know how to fight. They know how to do martial arts. Uh, Robin Shu, who plays Liu Kang, uh, Wushu from age 20, and uh, despite his looks, was, he was 35 when he made this movie, so he'd been doing it for 15 years. Um, so he looked good. Some of the, the random people who don't really have good character names uh, were fantastic. Uh, the per, Can you guess which one is not a martial artist of any sort whatsoever? I'm going to guess Blade. I'm going to guess Blade. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) She is not. She is terrible. And I just want to talk about her. 
her gun handling is horrible as well. Not just her, her hand-to-hand combat, but the, the gun handling is hideous. She'd be disarmed in about five seconds. And why is she so jaw-clenchingly angry all the time? Her character angry. is so angry. And I'm very concerned about the, the society that, that this takes place in, where she comes into a nightclub shooting people in the opening scene, and they continue to oh, dance sure, behind not? them. A gun is loud. <laughs> Louder than your nightclub. Uh, I digress. Yeah, she's a unique character. This is certainly a cast of, of very hodgepodge like, like backstories, right? Like, we never actually know why she's going after Kano. Like, is that ever really fleshed out? He no. killed her partner. Oh, oh you're right. Did he? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. If I had to watch this movie, so did you. <laughs> this is the second uh, time I had to watch this movie. God damn it! But I, <laughs> this I, I movie hear... made me yell at my children because <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm watching. If you watch it through the Amazon app on a smart Blu-ray player, you don't get the subtitles. And Christopher Lambert whispers all of his dialogue. It's delivered like this. You really have to strain to hear him. And I did not want to have to rewind or repeat any moment of this film ever again. So my my kids started talking. I'm like, shut up. I have to hear this. I don't ever want to rewind this to see it again. Just be quiet. They should have renamed Christopher Lambert's character to Exposition. Battle (laughs) Exposition. He appeared. All of his scenes were just, I'm going to tell you what's happening. Yes. So I'm not going to yeah. do anything. No. And it's it's very much like Greek play. He just kind of walks into the scene and explains what's going on just out of nowhere and then walks right out. So uh, <laughs> Yes, it's and it's a such a great example of Swiss washing. <laughs> you know, it's it's whitewashing with a Swiss guy with a very indeterminate accent. <laughs> One thing I would like to talk about it's a great discussion topic here from david the game is incredibly gory and bloody but the film is not would an r rating have helped this film what do you think ben uh yeah i I think that could have helped if it uh, turned to almost like a slasher level of gore then yeah that might have generated a bit of controversy and maybe uh, push the the cast and crew a little bit harder to produce something a little better. But, you know, still, you need that plot. You need that story. Yes, yes, you do. It just really missed that. Do you guys think that it leans into its kitschiness or do you think it's just so bad that it happened on accident and they were trying really hard for it not to happen? I can't figure (laughs) out where that was. What do you guys think? It it feels so much like they were writing the movie as they were filming it. (laughs) Totally. I I do not understand what the rules of the tournament are, and they were like they would make up a new one every couple of minutes. Right, but it happens in really yeah, eclectic the places. Go to uh, the the video the two video game writers and a fellow named Kevin Droney, uh, whose credits include several episodes of Jake and the Fat Man, uh, Hunter, uh, the Highlander TV show. Uh, then Mortal Kombat and his final movie that he wrote the screenplay for was Wing Commander in 1999. So it's not a tremendous, it's not a, a, it's not a literary resume, let's say. 
No, no, certainly not. <laughs> David, this was your inquiry. Do you think that gore would have helped this film if they had really just leaned into that and just gone balls to the wall with the gore? I think it would have given it a cult following. Mm. I think kind of like what Ben was saying, generate some controversy. If this had been the level the game was where like people are ripping out spines or like pulling <laughs> off arms, like people would watch this just because of how ridiculous it is. Like it would then have the redeeming quality of like, of, of just insane, of like the insane violence that makes the game so much fun. And like, you know, getting into a debate on violence, all that, blah, blah, blah. But I think from a film standpoint, people would be talking about it in a much different light. You would have people being like, it's so awesome when he, you know, shoves his own arm down that guy's throat and kills him. Like, <laughs> would have been more like Predator. Yeah. And I think you, I think <laughs> one thing I would be curious about is I don't know a lot of people who are dedicated Mortal Kombat fans whether they love or hate this, because those early fighting games, they really had dedicated fan bases. I, I uh, had a journalism professor who was a comic book writer for DC and, and Marvel and Malibu, and he was in charge of writing uh, the Street Fighter II comics. And he decided to kill Ken off in the second Street Fighter II comic in the series, and that later devolved into legions of people despising him for killing that character. Uh, the Street Fighter 2 character, which I did not know there was a dedicated fan base for. He still gets, uh, thir- 25 years later, he still gets mail on killing off Ken <laughs> in the second uh, issue of Street Fighter 2. Wow. So, Jeez. do you guys think that there are people out... Okay, here's, I guess here's my question. If people love this game, do they hate or love this movie? For the people that, I mean, for the people that love the games, there probably is something about the extremeness of it. Uh, like the most recent games, now, like when, you know, you do certain moves, when you do damage to someone, it like does an x-ray of the body and shows you what bone you're breaking or which <laughs> organ you're damaging. You know, they, they found <laughs> new ways to lean into the extremity of it all. Uh, what, a, uh, what, a, what a time to be alive. Sorry, go I on. I know, right? So I just, I, I don't know many people, you know, I know people who are, like you said, super into Street Fighter. I don't know anybody super into uh, Mortal Kombat. But if the way that the people who love Street Fighter react to that game can mirror to this, then no, they don't like it. Or sorry, not that game, that movie, the people that like this. Right, Fighter. right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I feel like what's going to happen a lot in this conversation is just dead ends where we all just kind of nod. Very similar to what happened in The Last Starfighter. We all just determined that it was a movie at the end. That's really the only consensus we could come to was that it existed and it was a thing that you could watch. Uh, One thing I'd like to talk about, a question here from Nicole. They were more concerned with showing the set pieces than any of the fights. And an additional question to this is what was everyone's favorite set piece? Nicole, why don't you kick it off? Well, it was David's noted that it w- they seemed more concerned. Oh, I'm sorry. It was David and then Nicole. Correct. But my follow-up question is, what was your favorite set piece and why? Um, golly. <laughs> I think the, uh, the only fight I really liked was the uh, first official fight of the tournament where Liu Kang fights uh, this... Uh, 
large, I believe, African-American gentlemen with braids and they fight with staffs. And they're actually both quite good. And it's a decent martial arts fight to watch. Um, so, and the, uh, you know, that first guy is, he's credited as fighting monk. Uh, his name is Hakeem Alston and he was a kickboxing champion. So he's actually got the cred to, and the skills to go with this film. Uh, but you know, it ends, the fight ends with the flying two footed kick to the chest. And I cannot, as a martial artist, I can say that there is no bigger waste of energy or setup to leave yourself vulnerable than to do a two footed kick. So much um, kicking in this movie. <laughs> so much unnecessary kicking. Oh yeah, so kicking. much. Uh, and as the guy lies on the ground, Shang Tsung says, "Your soul is mine," and takes it into fatality. So you know, yes. it's, uh, there's so many excuses to drop in. These are lines from the game, and they're in there for finish him. Really, no reason except that they're lines from the game. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, the other thing that I, I really like about this movie is, you know, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa plays Shang Tsung, and he's leaning way into it. He is leaning into this part real hard. He's taken it into well into Kitsch territory, and yes. I actually enjoy it. You know, the story is that he, he went in to read for the part in costume, and delivered all his lines while standing on a chair and that they didn't really seriously consider anybody else for the part after that. <laughs> I have a He's comment from a most perfect sneer. He does ever he does. seen in your life. He does the role. Well, I got a comment from David and then I also have one from Ben. Go ahead, David. It reminds me of the movie, another bad movie, uh, Robin hood, where the redeeming part of that is Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham. And when asked about it years later, he said that, you know, he knew that it was a bad movie and he was playing, a, he was acting as though he was in a different film. And that's what I kind of feel like was happening here with the villain. It's like, he's like, oh, this isn't very good, huh? Well, let's have some fun with it. Let's lean into that. And yeah, I would say that paid off. Uh, ben, you had yeah, a thought. I, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with Nicole. Um, you know, Tagawa, he really leaned into this and you could almost see him enjoying it as well. So, you know, if you're going to do something bad, you might as well have fun with it. So I, I think he did a fantastic job. And I, I actually, it kind of made it a little bit more enjoyable for me. Well, a little less painful. Right. Uh, less uh, painful. And, and I would, you I would were, you were the person it. to originally bring up the set pieces. So I would ask you, what was your, what was your favorite set piece in this film? Uh, well, pretty much anything that had a beach in it. So I love the, the beach settings. Uh, but then, <clears throat> then when, when it comes to... Uh, the fighting and how it uh, pays homage to the game. Uh, there was the fight between Liu Kang and Sub Zero, and I noticed that it was that they were almost mimicking the gameplay itself. It was very linear at the beginning, and you know they had to almost jump over or slide under each other to change stances or to go to the other side. So it, I, I noticed the the callbacks to the video game, and they were pretty deep. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, even some of the the setup of the fights, like you would see all these people kind of surround them like a crowd and they'd kind of create like a, you know, like a like a like a like a hall that they were on either side of, especially even the very first fight we see, which are from two inconsequential characters. 
it's exactly that. They're literally in like this giant rectangle and they're fighting very much like the game. Uh, uh, David, a favorite set piece if you have one. Uh, you know, um, it might be for me the completely random and not at all set up fight of Scorpion and uh, I want to call him Nick Cage. I know that's not right. <laughs> uh, Donny Cage, I think. Donny Cage, yeah. I don't know why because I know that Nick Cage got his last name from the character but yeah johnny cage um you know that just we're having this one scene where there's a conversation and suddenly it cuts to them in a forest having this fight and uh and then scorpion opens a portal to like this weird hell dimension where they where johnny cage is like yeah sure this is fine i'll keep you know i'll just go along with this uh and doesn't like freak out immediately which i think would be the appropriate response but anyway (laughs) that that scene Again, sort of a callback to the video game there, but that was like a, I don't know, a pretty cool fight set. I thought maybe one of the cooler, like, fighting sets of the game. Uh, Even cooler than, like, where the final fight happens, which is kind of just a room. Right, absolutely. (laughs) Actually, that was going to be my response as well, because that entire scene is so bizarre to me, because not only does he just jump into the weird hell dimension, how did he get out? Like, he kills him. Oh. How did yeah. he get out? Well, and and let's so let's 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 just dive into this segment for a moment because Scorpion <laughs> takes off his mask, and when he yes. takes yep. off his mask, there's just a skull underneath. But he had yep. like flesh with eyes and stuff. <laughs> yes. Like what? What is going on? It's there? exactly. It's right out of the game. It is straight video out of the guy. game. I know. Totally I know. I'm guy. I'm trying to dig for a little bit of logic here, but I'm just going to end up in a fetal position. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't I, I like how at the end of the fight, this photo of Johnny Cage oh, drops yeah. from out of nowhere. Yeah, like it's a signed photo his, of his, his biggest outfit. fan. Where is this coming from? So this well, autographed photo of Johnny Cage drops onto the ground that says, and, for my greatest fan. And the way that's set, and the way that's set up is, is if Johnny Cage had just lost and died and here yeah. we are mourning his little photo no but yeah it's it's such a bizarre sequence because there's no setup for it at all again the rules of this tournament are so bizarre because is this an official fight are they not set up to fight at certain times it seems like there's an arena but we're just in a forest and then a hell dimension what is going on yeah. oh, we obviously needed more christopher lambert to tell us what was going on i think we really did because david's yeah. right there are because there are some fights that don't seem to be happening with any sort of like referee or anything like that. There are fights that are very organized and very, they have people around them. They have an audience. They, they have the head honcho there. And then there's fights where they're running through forests. And, and by the way, one of my favorite shots in the movie is, is he's in the forest and the guy shot his hand skunk thing. I don't know what it was. Um, scorpion, <laughs> scorpion <laughs> thing. But it was not the blue guy. Head. Wasn't that the blue guy and not the yellow guy? Are they the same guy? I don't know. Uh, no. no it, the red guy, the yellow guy, and then there's the green guy. In terms of the video game, yes, they're the same person with color-swapped outfits. Okay. Uh, but, but in any case, one of my favorite shots in the movie, because it's just so so poorly done, is he turns around and looks down the forest where all, the line of trees, and he's like, oh, you think he's gone? And all of a sudden, he cartwheels out from behind a tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this forest too. The forest is set up in nice symmetrical rows. 
See, yes. I think it's a tree farm. It's not a forest. It's, it's a plantation. That's it's it. a plantation or a tree farm of some kind. I think one thing that would have given the film, and I don't want to say it made the film better, but it would have given it a little cohesion, is if before every fight we saw like a tournament bracket just telling us like, Ooh, yeah, here's like, here's who's going to fight now. Like then we would have all been like, oh, okay, this is an official fight happening. Instead, we're just left scratching our head a little. It could have just as as long as there's really no plot to begin with, it could have just mimicked the game entirely, right? Just have a bracket that slowly goes down and uh, yeah, sure, make it like the end of the Karate Kid. You know, have a have a montage of one thing I want. Right, Uh, I I I want to posit this: Was anyone else perplexed by? The relationship between Blade and and Cage, and how it like seems to like really blossom in like the last like forty five seconds. Uh, <laughs> ben, what are your thoughts on on the inner 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 character relationships in this film? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the the writers were still left at the boarding gate, and everyone else was on the island going, "Oh crap!" Um, uh. Romance. There we go. Let's do that. And yeah, it just seems like some sort of an afterthought. And yeah, some cheesy lines. And uh, you know, Blade obviously rolling her eyes so fast you can hear him in the next room. And it, it's just <laughs> isn't there it's, double it's all, romance yeah, it's too? It's cringeworthy. Yeah. Isn't there? there doesn't the other guy have have a romantic interest at the very end of the film too? Well, yeah. There's Princess Katana, right. who yeah. is also a very confusing character. Where she's introduced as like an ally of the bad guys. But then she's like trying to help them out, and then yeah, I don't it's know. not really clear. Yeah, I think it's a sense of fair play. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. Maybe uh, I don't know if that'd ever work out though. You know, she's ten thousand; he's only like thirty something. Right. Kind of. Yeah, but he's that been, hair. He's been corrupted but, by uh, television. That oh, she's and there's smoking a, hot though. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, but I, you know, she's. I love how she's she's wearing. She's got all the classic Asian fetish trappings. You know, she's got this short little Chong Sam on. She's the first shot of her. She's like sitting under an umbrella, this red umbrella. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, oddly enough, the actress is uh, Puerto Rican. She's a Puerto Rican background rather than Asian. Uh, so you just, you just reminded me that when, um, when Shang takes Sonya Blade and goes into like the world where the final fight happens, and he, like his whole idea is, I'm gonna fight her as the final opponent because she sucks and I'll easily win. Uh, <laughs> he for some reason changes her outfit. Yeah, the Xena outfit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For no reason. <laughs> and she gets like the the '80s uh, metal groupy hair. Well, I think oh, she was just yeah. she was yeah she was jealous of uh, of of Leo Kang's hair, which was had that going on the whole time. Actually, I'm glad you guys brought that up because I, you know, we know this was done in the '90s, but there is still a lot of hair left over from the '80s that seeped into this thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's some some gorgeous hair in this. Uh, <laughs> speaking of female characters in this film, a question here from David is: Cameron Diaz was originally slotted to play Sonia. Could she have done anything to save that role? Panel, what do you guys oh, think? At least she's got some personal charisma. You know, she would have yeah, really been this, the only A-list name. Was, yeah, this movie was lacking charisma for sure. I mean, Johnny Cage, that actor, I think, was pumping as much charisma as he could. And that character got the most laughs out of me. But everyone else was so stilted. 
Yes. Uh, Nicole, any thoughts? Uh, well, you know, like like I said, at least she'd have been the first movie I remember seeing her in was The Mask when she was very young. It was one of her uh. first jobs out of modeling, I think. And while she wasn't great in it, she at least was, you know, sweet and charming to some degree. And, you know, Brigitte Wilson Sampras is, wasn't. You know, she was very pretty, <laughs> but she had her face in like perma scowl yes. the whole time until like the until like the last two minutes of the movie. So. Ben, could uh, Cameron Diaz have saved that have saved that role for you at all? Um, save the role, maybe. Yeah, save the movie. No, no, <laughs> no, certainly not. Uh, another question here in our docket: Does anything in this film work for anyone? <laughs> Uh, these are the kind of questions that we end up with, with when we have films like this. Uh, we just kind of meander around how bad they are. Uh, David, this is your question. Does yep. anything in this film work for you? I mean, as we said, the set pieces are pretty great. I will say that some of the practical effects, I think, still hold up a little bit. Not a whole lot. The fight scenes certainly which, don't. Which, which ones? Uh <laughs> Okay, look, I know that Goro looks bad now. Yes. At yeah, the can we time, talk about Goro? I... Huh? Can we talk about Goro? Is he CG? What is he? He's a he puppet. Like... He's yeah, a puppet? Yeah, like sort of a mix of claymation puppet. Okay. No, he's a, he's a puppet. He's purely mechanical. Okay, I was curious if it was like very, very early, like pre-Phantom Menace bad CGI, but no. No. Okay. No, but, no, that's. Uh, I don't think it's CGI at all. Uh, the what I think it is are terrible. Yeah. Well, the if you look closely at Goro again, I, I'm sorry, but you'll have to. Uh, <laughs> you, you'll notice that the lower arms they move pretty naturally. So you've got a dude with a with something on top of his head, and that's the extra shoulders and head, and the the shoulders and head and arms and fingers that are being controlled animatronics. Uh, they're actually for that time. I think they carried that off pretty well. The, the level of articulation and the way it moves uh, mm-hmm. for that era, you know, yeah. I think it was pretty close to something else. It was yeah. it was really good for a theme park <laughs> level of animatronics. I would say. Hey, those are built oh, yeah. to last. All right. Do you think Goro is somewhere? Do you think he's in a Do you think he's in a storage container somewhere? I think someone With, like Hoggle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. in some collector's uh, living room somewhere. I oh, did say he was voiced by he was voiced by Michael uh, yeah, Kevin Michael Richardson, who is one of the most prolific voice actors. Uh, if you look at you know his IMDb, he in the past couple of years he has been on several shows at the same time. Like he's voicing Groot in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, voicing Shredder. In the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he's on Simpsons all the time. He's on American Dad. Uh, I'm just looking through like so many things for Disney, Family Guy, uh, Fairly Odd. Oh, he was the. He's been the only uh, African American to do the voice of the Joker on uh, one of the animated Batman series from 2004 to 2008. That's very true, but that guy has a very strong work ethic. kind of bringing it back to the the film a little bit anything worked for me not really but one line that i actually (laughs) laughed out loud at was when um johnny cage uh gave uh 
gave Liu Kang his like bag and was like, can you load this on the boat for me? And Liu Kang like walks over and throws it into the water. And it cuts back to Johnny Cage and he says, I'm glad I didn't ask him to park the car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even though he apparently has like seven line. other bags. Yeah, why do they right. have okay. so many bags? <sighs> I he's got like six bags, but he wears the same outfit the whole time he's there. He yeah. never changes clothes. Oh, well, he thanks did for have those five hundred dollars sunglasses. The scene uh, where he finishes off Goro is a great scene. Five hundred dollars sunglasses. Ooh. Okay, the thing that I laughed at with Johnny Cage is um, right before the tournament, they have like the dinner the night before, where they kill some rando guy for no particular reason. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And they, you know, Sonya goes to follow Shang Tsung, I guess, presumably to go find Kano. Um, Kang and Cage go follow her. And Liu Kang asks, do you know where we're going? And Johnny Cage says, I know exactly where we're going. Katana went this way. As he is parting curtain after curtain of undisturbed cobwebs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she went this way. (laughs) Well, she's 10,000 years old. She'll know how to do that by then, right? <laughs> and uh, it's it's actually at this point that I wrote in my notes, we're only 36 minutes into the movie. Why is this it, movie so long? It is 40 plus minutes before the first official fight of this movie. Like there's <laughs> little stunt scenes here and there, but the first fight of the tournament does not happen until almost an hour in. Oh, it's so unnecessary. See, I decided so that I enjoyed this film. I, I know what the turning point was for me. It was when they got on the boat. No, no, it was when the boat pulls up, first of all, because that boat, that's, that's a great it's boat. It's like the dragon boat. That boat right. was great. And then they get on the boat. boat. And it's so unapologetically staged where they, like, have, like, the blue lighting, like, fluorescent, like, coming down on them. They have, like, the giant mist of, uh, of a fog surrounding the boat. The boat is very clearly not moving. Uh, they're very clearly not outside. And it's just You almost so... expect some dude in like a trench coat to wander by and a foghorn to sound. Exactly. You expect like a boom to like, you know, lower into the shot accidentally. And it's just so unapologetically staged that I'm like, I like this. This is so bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this film, it's a thing. You can watch it. Uh, let's let's <laughs> very briefly before we start to wrap things up a little bit I do want to mention that you can support Blazing Caribou Studios you can go on over to blazingcariboustudios.com and you can check out all the wonderful shows there on the network and then you can go on over to patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios I'm sure many listeners are familiar with Patreon that's a value for value thing if you get something out of the shows that Blazing Caribou Studios does all the people on the network are volunteers they do it because they love it there's really not a lot of kickback for doing this but they do do it because the joy of seeing films like this. So you can go on over there and support it and make sure those shows get hosted and funded and keep on the air and can keep doing rad things. Another thing that we do here on uh, this podcast is we scour eBay, occasionally AliExpress, and we find weird things that were in relation to the film we watched. And I have a couple bizarre ones. I want to. Does anyone else have any? First of all, yeah, hold on. I got to go to the end of the string so I can. Okay, Nicole's linked this in our chat, and for our listeners, we'll put this in the show notes. Oh, you got mine. Yeah, this one's weird. (laughs) It's expensive. Yeah, why don't you give us a rundown, Nicole? 
Okay, so what the only thing that I found that I thought was crazy in terms of the amount of money that they're asking for it, uh, it is a mint condition, never assembled, never taken out of the box, Mortal Kombat movie standee uh, that was made for movie theater lobbies. Um, so it's still in its perfectly preserved flat pack, and the only thing... Uh, the current owner did was they teased the directions sheet out of it for the uh, poor, you know, be benighted ushers to assemble uh, after everybody's gone home. It <laughs> is, and it's big, and they're asking $959.59. And they're going to charge you for shipping on top price. of that. Y'all chipping. Wow. <laughs> okay, so wow. here's what I. Here's what I really adore about this. You don't know what it looks like. And I'm nope. sure that if you if you scour the internet, I don't know if you could find a photo of one of these that was assembled. So you're There's really going in blind the directions on this. that show you like kind of an outline of right. what it might look like. It looks to me it looks kind of like a tombstone with one guy in fighting stance on one side and a different person in fighting stance on the other side of it. Yeah, and they're but, particularly vague. It just says the other side is a montage of all main characters with a smaller fight scene. What does that mean? <laughs> no uh, idea. Okay, that's a thing. We can, <laughs> we'll put that in our show notes in case any, uh, I guess, you know, Christmas is a while off, but for this you might want to start saving <laughs> well, now. Well, you have time to start saving now. Yeah, exactly. Now, does anyone else yeah. have any others? I have, I have two others. Well, I'm disappointed because this does not ship to Australia, so... We'll have to move on. Oh. Okay, next. Yeah, you're going to have to send it to, you know, one of those companies that will ship it to a U.S. address and then reship it to you. Yeah, those freight so. forwarders. Love those guys. Exactly. Uh, uh, David, do you have any? I was unsuccessful in finding much aside from the usual uh, press photo or copies of the film on DVD and Blu-ray. Right. So I have a couple things. Uh, I had what Nicole had. I found this. Now, this is a press photo, but I, I just adore it. It's just Mortal Kombat movie, 1995 Skybox promo card, embossed foil sample, no number. And I love that it's just like he's cut out on it. It's like a foil. It's a foil, uh, like, background. Just lovely. <laughs> it's just, Man, look at those arms, though. I know. How about them guns? <laughs> and you can get that for two... 269 with free shipping. So I really, you know, I, I I'm like I'm 70% sure I'm actually going to buy that and just <laughs> send it to are one of you. Are you going to have a collection of bad movie memorabilia? Oh my goodness. That would be wonderful if I just bought the cheapest like $2 promo card from every bad 80s 80s movie we watched and made a montage. I'm kind of into it. I I'm kind of into it too. Uh and the other thing I found and first of all I have to ask a question. Is Goro in the games or was he made for the movie? He's in the games. Oh, okay. So this isn't, this isn't movie exclusive then, but I found this on AliExpress. Uh, AliExpress is always a wonderland of uncomfortable things. Um, and this is most certainly one of them. I'm trying to link it in chat and it's not playing nice. Please let it be a costume. Please let it be a costume. It's not. Uh, a They have costumes. They have costumes, but yeah. they're all of the the blue and the green guys and that, the, whatever they are. It's all of the. It's got to be a Goro, Goro costume. That's what it's got to be. That's the winner. 
Oh my gosh. That would be a great costume. That'd be great. I this is not working out, but essentially what it is, I'll go ahead and share my screen here. How about that? We're going we're going to get high tech here. Uh it's beautiful. It's like this high quality resin figure of Goro. And it's actually very Ooh. well done. And I did not know that he was a game character. I thought that they made this for the movie, which is why I was very impressed. Uh, <laughs> now that I know he's a character from the game, I'm slightly less impressed. But it is a nice little figure. It's $99 a piece. Keep in mind, this is on AliExpress. So you can get up to 500 of these babies. So that is most certainly available in your near future if you have $100 and uh, and want that. <laughs> So let's go around the table. This was a great conversation. Oh, wait, I found something real quick. Oh, okay. I found lobby lobby cards, which typically those show interesting scenes of the film, but this one is a lot of people standing around, which is disappointing for an action film. <laughs> I love it. There's, there's one of Christopher Lambert doing the prom pose with the Princess Katana. It makes me real uncomfortable. Oh my goodness. These are great. Beautiful. They're in Canada. Canadian listeners. Get those shipped a little bit cheaper. Uh, those are $15. Uh, let's go around the table. Uh, let's get some you know, overarching thoughts to close out the show. Uh, who enjoyed the... If you enjoyed the film, why? If you didn't enjoy it, why not? Parting words, if it's something you would recommend. Our guest, Ben, what do you think? Right. Um... Okay, I, I kind of enjoyed it for the train wreck that it was. Uh, so, you know, Christopher Lambert, uh, played by Pinky uh, from Pinky and the Brain, I thought was awesome. Um, you know, seeing uh, the bad guy lean into being a bad guy was a, a lot of fun too. I also enjoyed poking fun at the token Australian uh, for this movie, uh, played actually by a Londoner. He's a, a British actor and has basically been passing himself off as an Australian since day one. Uh, and uh, yep, that, that was just a lot of fun. All the all the really bad things about it, I actually kind of enjoyed pointing and laughing at. Exactly. Um, yeah. Very good. What about you, Nicole? Uh, like I said, I just overwhelmed with how much I love this movie. Um, no, I I would recommend this to no one. Um, you might want to go on YouTube and go look at my favorite kill of the movie which is where uh, Sonia gets matched with Kano in the tournament. Uh, she does terrible kicks. Uh, he kicks her in the stomach. She goes into a handstand and chokes him with her calves. Kano says, right. give me a break. She says, okay, and breaks his neck with her calves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Nicole, you just reminded me. Creativity there. Uh, horribly cheesy, cheesy line. But, um, yeah, no, not worth it. Uh, not worth it. You just reminded me that we never discussed that the ultimate weakness of defeating Goro is just kicking him in the nails. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the nut shot. Yep. That's beginning that was of the end for old Goro. <laughs> uh, David, what about you? Was this a film you enjoyed? Why, why not? Would you recommend it? Uh, the only way I can recommend it is get some friends together, uh, get some beers. Lots of beers. That, yeah, lots of beers. Maybe make a drinking game around this film because it's ripe for it. <laughs> and uh, and tear it apart in a group setting. I think it's the best way to enjoy it. But if you're like, hey, I've got a couple hours to kill. I should watch a movie. 
this should never be the one you watch ever. <laughs> uh, for me personally, I really got a kick out of this film. I love bad movies. That's been a centerpiece of, of my stay here on Geek Cinema Society. I get a kick out of things that are really poorly produced. I get a kick out of uh, looks like we have dual Nicoles. OK, we can roll with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I get a kick out of bad movies. This really is just chock full of badness from the bad dialogue to the bad lines to just everything else. It's just a mess. And I love the fact that it's a mess. So I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants a bad film. Like David said, it's going to be best enjoyed with friends. Let's go around the table one more time. Get uh, our plugs done. (laughs) They are very important. And of course, we're cool people. So you might want to pay attention to us or not. That's up to you. Ben, you're the guest. Where can people find you online? What are you doing? Where can people listen to more of that wonderful accent? Oh, thank you. Uh, I well, basically I run around. I help people with their technology. So you can find my business website at easywireless.net.au, and that is spelled E-Z-I, wireless.net.au. Um, and you can find all my contacts with Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, if anyone's there, and Google+. Plus. I think I'm one of the last remaining people on that as well. Uh, I'm on every Monday night, West Australia time from 8.15 to 9pm on Perth's 6PR Talkback. And uh, if you're a local person uh, or if you're watching Perth News, uh, you'll find me appearing on Perth News Station 7, 9 or 10 uh, at some time or other. I'm also kicking off a series of cybersecurity talks uh, and I'm getting a lot of good interest out of that as well. So we'll see how that goes. That's fantastic. Uh, that's really awesome. And thank you again for being our first really international guest. Uh, you, you helped work with us on the, uh, on the, the time difference. Sorry, uh, sorry, Peter. Sorry, JF. You Canadians don't count. He's across the sea. So, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you guys. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Where can people find you online, David? What are you up to? Well, per usual, heck yeah, comics podcast, heck yeah, comics.com, and Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Davluz, that is D A V L U Z. Going to be hopping a bit back more into Brookbot Mountain by the time this comes out. And that podcast has really expanded outside of uh, Westworld, just to being kind of a, uh, a sci fi entertainment podcast in general. It's very interesting. A lot of cool stuff coming out of there. So check it out. Absolutely. I really enjoyed what you guys did on her. Uh, her is a most unusual film and I thought it was great you guys tied it in so mm-hmm. good job with that show and Nicole what about you uh, well you can find me curating the Geek Cinema Society Facebook page at facebook.com slash Geek Cinema Society uh, or you can find my personal account on Twitter which is at your word whiz and that's y-o-u-r-w-o-r-d-w-h-i-z Right on. My name is Brett Stewart. You can find me on brettdavidstewart.com on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. That is Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. You can also connect uh, with me on jukeboxpodcast.com. That's the main podcast that I do, and I've currently started working on Statecraft, a political podcast here on Blazing Caribou Studios. One thing I will mention, this will be about five weeks old by the time this episode comes out, but I did go on... uh, What's it called? Uh, the Podcast of Terror. I love the Podcast of Terror. There are good friends over there at Galactic Netcasts. It was my third time on the show. 
And I'm surprised they let me back three times with the kind of stuff I make them watch. And for this time, we watched He Never Died, which stars Henry Rollins being angry and yelling at people, which is just fills my heart with joy. It's wonderful. It's an awful film. It's a, it's a great film. It's whatever you want it to be. It's Henry Rollins. Go check out that discussion. It's worth taking a look at. Uh, that's going to do it for myself, for Ben, for David, and Nicole. We'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, Brett. We should close out with some of the oh my gosh music. oh my gosh how could I have forgotten yeah gone. What is it saying? Cast your might. Test your might. Test your might. Test your might. This is awful. I'm gonna play our outro.